Good morning, Crossroads. It's good to see each of you here. Uh, a couple of things. Just a reminder, we are in our in Lenten season, and we have a Lenten Bible reading plan. And it started on Thursday last week, but you can still jump on and be a part of that. Uh, hard copies of that are available on the Next Steps counter out there. But if you're able to, if you're somewhat techie savvy, you can go to our website right on the main page and find the Lent, uh, the picture for Lent, and then there's a little click uh, link. Boy, link you can click, and uh, you get a PDF file and you can download it and print it off yourself. But I want to encourage you to join us. And, you know, what we're hoping is that you read through this and then and in your household, whether you get together once a week and just talk about what you've been reading or you talk about it daily. The other thing that we uh, kind of launched this last week was Impact Our Neighbor, Impact Our City. And with that, it's beginning with prayer. And we just want to continue to encourage you to figure out a way that you can consciously, intentionally be praying for your neighbor and be praying for your city. I was reminded of Jesus' words in John chapter 4 when he says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And the reason why we're doing this impact thing where we have you pray for your neighbors and pray for your city, it's kind of an intentional way for us to lift our eyes and look and see that the harvest is available. Well, as we know, Christians can just about divide over anything, and we have been in this series for the last year in 1 Corinthians, and at the heart of the series is unity uh, or harmony, but some of the things that we can sometimes divide over is something as simple as, uh, are movies okay to watch, or which movies? Can you watch like an R-rated movie? I remember when I was a youth pastor, and had uh, some teenagers come up to me. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but they were like, hey, Brad, is it okay to watch R-rated movies? And I already knew what the deal was. If they could get the youth pastor to say yes, they could bring that back to their mom and dad. I, w- I didn't wake up, you know, just that morning. So I had this conversation with them that Just because I'm old enough to go and see every and any movie that I wanted to see, it doesn't mean that it's okay for me to see any movie that I wanted to see. And then I challenged him. I said, part of the deal is you get this one theme running through your brain, whatever it is from the movie, and it's opposite most of the time from what the kingdom of God is about. So I said, I I encouraged him, well, tell, tell your parents when you go talk to them, about watching whatever movie you want to watch, that you'll watch that movie for two hours, but then right after that, you'll spend the next two hours reading your Bible. Then you can spend some time talking afterwards the difference between what the movie was portraying and what you read in the Bible. They didn't like that very well. I remember uh, dancing was a taboo. When I was a kid, and you know, you depending on where you come from, dancing is okay. Dancing is not okay. And you know, I I remember going to a dance when I was in high school. Yeah, my parents said no, and I went. I, it's a little confession right there. 
But I remember being, having been told my whole life that dancing was wrong, that I was at that dance, and I felt hugely guilty. I mean, I was just like, what, what, am, I, what, what am I doing here? This is, this is wrong. What's going on here is wrong. And as I've gotten older, naturally, um, you begin to see that there are things that we are taught from the time we were young that, of stuff that is right or wrong. And in the scope of things, it's not so much that that thing is wrong. There's other aspects of it. But when you're a kid and, or when you're a parent and you're talking to a kid, you just say, that's wrong or don't do it. And sometimes we don't take time to explain in Corinth, um, the issue for the believer was whether it was okay to eat food that was offered to the idols. Now, in this time, there was probably three contexts in which people would be eating food that was offered to, either, uh, to idols. It was maybe a celebration that was going on that was being held in a room that was next to or near a temple, and this could be both religious celebrations, or even just social events. Maybe it was a wedding or something, and because the building was right next to the, the temple for that idol, most likely the food that was being offered there to eat was, had been offered to idols. Another time would be food maybe eaten at a dinner in a private home. Uh, Maybe it was an unbeliever who worshiped idols, and so the food that they had, they would offer it to the God that they uh, wanted to offer it to. Because as we know from that culture back there, they had a bunch of different gods. Maybe it was, you know, the God of the harvest or the fertility God, or maybe they had a God that represented their family. There could be all kinds of gods, and so maybe they, they would offer the food before they were going to serve it to others to that God to, you know, appease that God, appease that God in some way. Another place where they maybe had the opportunity to eat food offered to idols was just what they bought at the market. It seems from uh, a lot of stuff that I read that a large percentage of the meat available in the market in that day would have been offered to an idol beforehand. And so this is is just how prevalent idol worship was in the time of Corinth back in the first century. 1 Corinthians, as we've mentioned before, is a letter that Paul writes in response to a bunch of questions that the church in Corinth has. Questions about all kinds of different issues, and Paul is addressing them. And one commentator I read uh, said, uh, actually took and wrote a letter, like maybe what the letter would have looked like if they were, uh, you know, if... If we knew what it was that Corinth had written to Paul. And so here's what that letter kind of maybe would have looked like. Dear Paul, your call to not associate with immoral people has exasperated a point of conflict amongst us. Some members of the church are upset because others have accepted invitations to dinners held in idol temples and freely eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. But we all possess knowledge, and so we know that an idol has no real existence since there is no God but one. 
So there is no such thing as idle food. It's just food. The others, however, are frightened and upset about what we eat and question our right to eat any food we want. We are trying to build them up so that they too can enjoy their freedom in Christ and the right to eat any food as long as they are thankful to God for it. We have explained to them that eating this food commends us to our neighbors. We'll be worse off if we do not eat and better off if we do since we'll offend our friends and neighbors and hurt our chances of some social advancement and building relationships for potential business. If we snub them by rejecting their invitations for food, it might not be a good thing. Only by accepting their invitations and eating their food will we have opportunities for outreach and advancement. Those other believers being weak think that we are actually condoning idolatry and encourage them to participate in it as well. Please answer quickly. Now, I mean, it's a made-up thing, but I mean, doesn't that sound like maybe some things that people would write? They're trying to figure this out, and, and it, it's important for us to recognize that it's good for us to ask questions, and we, we need to ask questions, but uh, let's, let's now read 1 Corinthians chapter 8, because this is Paul's response to the things that he talked about. 1 Corinthians 8, we're going to read verses 1 through 13. Now, about food offered to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love Builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as, in, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificial to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin... I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. For most of us, that last sentence, I will never eat meat again, we can't imagine 
even saying that, right? But the message seems pretty simple from the get-go, and that is put others first. But as we look at this, I want to look a little deeper, and maybe we find some nuggets of truth within this passage that can maybe enhance or help us to understand what Paul is trying to teach us. The first nugget of truth is this, the contrast. Do you know or do you know? Now, I know you're going, what? Do you know or, or do you know? What, what are you getting at? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want us to look at the word know in this passage because this word knows up in, know shows up in three different forms. First of all, we're going to look at the first four verses again. And notice what it says here. Now about food sacrifice to idols. We know, I have highlighted up on the screen, that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrifice to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. This no is something that you just know. It's just perceiving with your senses. It's just there. It's knowledge is there. It's something that kind of everybody grasps. So when Paul says, we know that we all possess knowledge, it's like, yeah, duh. We all know that. We all know that everybody possesses knowledge. And so that's, that's the first no. It's just, there it is. The second no we look at those first four verses again, but in verse 1, we see this show up two, two times. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. This word is the Greek word gnosis, and it's about general intelligence. It's about information. It's about what you know in your head. It's that stuff you learn over time. And I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, Paul says we know that we all possess knowledge. We all possess knowing, but, he says, knowledge puffs up. So, information. The more you know, the more you have a chance of being prideful and arrogant. Paul uses this word, Three other times in this, uh, in, in this passage, First um, Corinthians 1, or 8, 1 through 13, in verse 7, which I'm not going to show up on the screen right now, he says, not all believers possess this knowledge. And he's talking about the knowledge of God, and we'll be, uh, or, or that God, we receive everything from God, and we'll get into that more in a little bit later. But what I want us to understand here with this word knowledge is just, the amount of information, just information. It's, it's like you, you can know this, you can know all the stuff in here and be prideful and arrogant because you know this stuff. Now, the third no. This takes us down into verse 2, and you can see it up there. I've highlighted the knowing. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. This 
Greek word is gnosko, and it's about understanding, it's about experiencing, it's about an intimate knowing. It is actually the same word that is used in Genesis to talk about Adam knew Eve and they had a child. It's an intimate knowing. It's from experience. It's from relationship. We all have knowledge, gnosis, but sometimes we all don't have knowing, gnosko. You see, there's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. Knowledge that's here. A year ago at this time, I had knowledge, gnosis, knew that eating healthy was important. Today, I know, gnosko, that eating is healthy, but I, because I've been doing it the last six, seven months. I know from experience. I know from an intimate relationship with that fact. I'm doing something about it. Knowledge that stays in your head leads to pride. Knowing that involves an experience, a relationship, leads to action. And so what Paul is saying here is uh, we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. But those who think they know something do not yet know as that they ought to know. Because what he's saying is some of you think you're all that because you know the information. But when it comes to really knowing, you ain't got a clue. There's some in our culture today that know this Bible really well. They got it all right here. But it hasn't gotten to here. And this is the place of action. This is the place of change. This is the place of transformation. So the question at the beginning of this first nugget of truth is, do you know? Gnosis? Or do you know Gnosko? That's the question. I think Paul wants the church to know before he dives into the issue at hand that there's something more important to deal with first. And that's your relationship with God. Because look what he says in verse Verse 3, but whoever loves God is known, gnosko, by God. God knows us intimately. When we love God, love God, knowledge, gnosis, puffs up. Love gets us known by God in an intimate way. And that's, I think, where Paul wants us to go. First Corinthians 13 has a little punch to these verses. 
I mean, we look at 13, and I mentioned this before, we, it's, it's the love chapter, and we a lot of times look at 13, and we think that that's, you know, it's all about showing us that spiritual gifts aren't the thing. I mean, you know, you have the whole thing on spiritual gifts, and then he gets into the love chapter, and, and it's right smack dab in the middle, and what we forget is that this 13 is for the whole letter of 1 Corinthians, not just to reflect on 11 and, or 12 and 14, and we'll see this in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. I have the gift of prophecy. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, gnosis, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. See, we're, we're all ready to say, hey, if you have prophecy but no love, you ain't got nothing. You know what Paul's saying? If you've got knowledge up here, and you ain't got love, you ain't got nothing. You can know this like crazy. But if you ain't got love, you ain't got nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 8-10, Paul continues, Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, gnosis, it will pass away. For we know, gnosko, in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Just like prophecies, just like tongues, head knowledge will disappear. It will pass away. Because we gnosko, we really know with our heart, only in part, just like we only prophesy in part. Why? Because we're in the flesh. Because we are human. Because we have faults. Because our Filters, whatever they may be, get in the way from us fully knowing. But when completeness comes, when Jesus comes, what is in part disappears. And then verses 11 and 12, Paul continues, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put, a ways, put the ways of child behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Uh, now I know gnosko in part. Then I shall know gnosko fully, even as I'm fully known gnosko. So now... What I know beyond all knowing is only part. There's so much mystery to the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much I know this. I mean, we need to read this. We need to study it. We need to know it. But it doesn't matter how much I get in here of this stuff. It's how much gets down in here. And even what gets down in here, I can only get part. Because we're on this earth. We're in the flesh. But then, then when Christ comes again, 
I shall know fully. I shall gnosko fully. I shall know because my experience will be totally within the presence of God. There will be nothing between me and God when Christ comes again. Amen? Even as I'm fully known. And this reflects up to earlier in 8 verse 3 when Paul says, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. You see, even, and he has present tense here, even as I'm fully known by God, I'm, I'm fully known by God right now. Even as I'm fully known by God right now, um, I, I only know in part. Gnosis, head knowledge, can cause us to see our world black and white. But we see it black and white from our point of view. And so there are some things that we see as sin, when maybe they're not so much sin. For example, my grown, being grown up and told that dancing was wrong. I was told it was a sin. Well, dancing's not bad or good. It's why you're doing it at the heart behind you're doing it. There are other things. Some, sometimes we think, that, and again, I grew up, Alcohol, drinking alcohol was a sin. No, it's not that way. So the first nugget of truth, and I spent most of my time on this because I think this is the most important thing for us as we deal with different issues that we face in our world. Because we need to understand that um, I see the world this way, but there are people in other communities that have a little different view on the world, and they're followers of Jesus. And if I think, with my head knowledge, black and white, we're going to have bashing and we're going to have dividing. But if I base my knowing on love, then that means when I go to that other part of the world or even the city where or I'm talking to somebody who has got a little different view on me on different things, and I approach it with love, I'm going to sit down and get to know them by experiencing them. This all goes back to the label thing that I've been talking about. We label people. Our brains don't want to get to know people who aren't like us because that takes work. And yet Paul is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Some of you don't know as you ought to know. The second nugget of truth is this. When it comes to the issue, start at the beginning. Starting at verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 8, Paul begins to deal with the issue 
He says, let's talk about the issue at hand, eating food offered to idols. So then about eating food sacrificed to idol, Paul basically points out two things. First, idols are nothing at all. They're just objects. There was this logic back then that different images of various gods uh, were the gods. And Paul's just saying, no, you know what, they're just images. Because there is only one God. In other words, there are no other gods because there's only one God. And there are no other lords because there is only one Lord, and that is Jesus Christ. The second point that he points out is that all things come from this one God. And all things come through this one Lord, Jesus Christ. All things. Everything in this world. Everything is good. God created everything. Now, mankind has twisted things absolutely. Music, really good. It comes from God through Christ for us. Mankind twists music. Science. Science is the study of the natural world. Who created the natural world? God. Science is good because science comes from God through Christ to us. Christ, part of the creation. Now, mankind twists science. This is, this is important for us to grasp. Because remember what Paul says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the principalities of this world. Our battle is not against science. Now, there are some things taught in the name of science. Yeah, but it's not science. Our battle is not music. Again, I grew up in an era when rock and roll, roll music was evil. It was of the devil. I don't know if any of you remember the Peters brothers. They went around and did seminars on devil worship within top 40 music, and they would play things backwards. And they would get you to hear, you know, I love Satan as they played it backwards. First nugget of this truth is, do you know, or do you know? The second nugget is, remembering that there is one God from whom all things come, and there is one Lord, Jesus, through whom all things come. The third nugget of truth is this. The problem, not everyone knows. Not everyone gnosis has the head knowledge. Not everyone knows because they're, as we mentioned earlier, they're impacted by their culture, their upbringing. Some people in that culture were surrounded by idols from the time they were born. It was ingrained in them that these objects were gods. And so when they become followers of Jesus, they, they knew that, I, or that food had been offered to those gods, and so they thought it was infected by those gods or made defect. And so if anybody ate that food, they were like, oh. 
They didn't know yet. They didn't experience yet that God is bigger and that there is only one God. So since their conscience is weak, they become defiled if they see, their conscience becomes defiled if they see somebody else eating food. Again, Paul reminds us that food doesn't bring us near to God and that we're no better off by what we eat or don't eat, but we still need to understand for some people, they are impacted by what they know. The fourth thing I want us to see is that the answer to all of this is putting others first. Paul continues with verse 9 by saying, Be careful that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Notice here that in this passage, Paul shows no, um, exhibits no concern to change those who are weak, but he shows all kinds of a concern that those who are strong do life differently. He doesn't tell the weak and conscious, you know what, you're, you've got... You got weak faith, you got weak conscience, you gotta, you gotta get yourself together, come on. No, his charge is to the strong. If somebody's with you and they have a weak conscience, they think that food offered to idols is stuff you shouldn't eat, then don't eat it. Verse 10, if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge, gnosis, eating the idol, the, an idol's, in an idol's temple, won't this person be emboldened to do what their conscience tell them is wrong? It's like me when I was at that dance. There's nothing wrong with being, being at that dance other than that I disobeyed my parents. But I had been so trained that going to a dance and dancing was a sin. That as I'm there, my my conscience is being impacted. It affects me today. I hate dancing. My wife loves it, which causes interesting things. And if a person does something that they think is wrong... You as a strong believer, you're the one that has destroyed them. Those are harsh words, right? And then Paul responds by saying, if there's a small chance that I may destroy a weaker believer, I'm not even going to eat meat again. That's how important this is. Paul's response is based on his love for God and love for others. He's more concerned about other people and their relationship with Jesus than he is about his own freedom. Jesus is the ultimate example of this. Think about this. The night he was betrayed, he's on his knees on the hill praying, and he says, Father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. 
He had every right as the Son of God to walk away and not go to the cross. He had every right to do that. Then he followed up with, but not my will, thine be done. Sacrifice. And Paul is our example too here. I'm never, I won't eat meat if it causes my brother to stumble. In conclusion today, this message is very relevant for us today. The message is of sacrificing my rights and my freedom for the health of fellow believers in Christ. We know this, but sometimes we need to be reminded there's a whole generation of young adults that are leaving the church. Part of the reason why they're leaving the church is because they see a segment of the church focus solely on trying to protect their rights and their freedoms. And when they read about Jesus, they see somebody who is setting aside their rights and their freedom for the widow, for the orphan, for the marginalized. If we have, want to have a chance with the young adults in our culture here in America, we need to get away from this head knowledge. We need to love God. We need to love others. We need to be willing to sacrifice our rights and our freedom. We need to go where the hurting people are, love them really well, We need to give up our rights for others. So my question for you today is this. Is your knowledge of God gnosis? It's basically up here. It's a bunch of information. Or is your knowledge of God gnosko? It's based on your love of God and love of others. It's based on an intimate relationship with your Creator. The world is watching us, church. It's watching us closely. What message do we want our world to see? Our mission is to impact people with the love of Jesus on the journey of life. We want to love God intimately. We want to love others by putting others first. And we want to proclaim the name of Jesus by word and by deed so that God's name is glorified around the world. Amen.